You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I was asked this week at Connect Group on Wednesday if I play any sports. And uh, typically when I'm asked if I play any sports, I always jokes come to mind of my incredible athleticism. Mainly because I'm not athletic. I don't know why, but maybe because I think that there's like a a hidden talent to be athletic in in me somewhere that wants to come out. But um, I think I kind of missed that boat growing up. I've shared this here before that my parents were more on the artistic side. They were were both uh, had musical talent. So growing up, that's where kind of they, they encouraged us to pursue and I didn't really miss it growing up. It wasn't something that I noticed. Um, But I did begin noticing how much I avoided it growing up after Alenia and I met. And we started leading youth. So started to to lead the youth, people who were in middle school and high school. And I started revisiting that age in my life as we went to uh, sports events, as we put together retreats and things like that. Uh, I started revisiting that part of my life and just wondered why I avoided it so much. And I realized this, that the reason why I avoided it is because there was a certain age, I think middle school or high school, and you probably can relate, where you're expected to perform at least average. You're expected to know what's going on when it comes to certain sports. And I was typically the tallest person in my class. I kind of looked the par. But in reality, I was probably the least apt, or at least I felt like it. So I began to avoid, I began to shy away, because every time my inability got exposed, I didn't feel good about that. So I began to shy away and just avoid that part of my life. Now, I think that a lot of people nowadays, they do the same with their faith, because they have the idea that faith is about a certain type of performance. They avoid a relationship with God, not because they think Christianity is all bad, Not because they think that what Jesus came to do was to brainwash the world and transform this into something that's not good. Most times, people shy away because they too expect, they think that they are expected to perform at a level that they were never trained in. They think that they are expected to to always be good. Expected to perform without training, to be perfect, without guidance. And this kind of pressure, this unspoken pressure, this type of expectation makes people take a step back and kind of shy away from God, from Christianity, from a relationship with God. But that's, that's a huge misunderstanding on what Jesus came to do. Because Jesus didn't come to require of you a perfect life. He came to give his perfect life to you. He didn't come to require from you a sinless life. He came to take away your sins. He didn't come to require performance from you. He came to perform a work in you. And what Jesus came to do in our lives goes against this expectation that we have. I said this here last week that when we grow toward God, when we're seeking to grow toward God, but we focus on ourselves, we typically get a sense of obligation. We get a sense of of duty toward God. 
But if we begin to focus in the work of Jesus, if we turn our focus to God, then that sense changes. Changes. It becomes a sense of gratitude. We begin to feel grateful for what God has done for us and the grace that he has extended to us. I was talking to a friend last week, and uh, he was telling me about the story of this man he met uh, and how he came to know Christ and how he came to commit his life to Jesus and, and to have a relationship with God. Initially, this man, he, had, he was enamored by the gospel. He was enamored by this idea of church and the message of Jesus, but he wasn't fully committed. He hadn't really made the commitment. And uh, the pastor noticed that he started serving here and there, started helping out in the church here and there. And he began to challenge that man to really commit and go all out and, and be present and, and give his life for this cause. And the answer that the man gave was interesting. He said, well, pastor, he finally opened up and said, well, I, I still struggle with sleeping around and drinking. And I've tried to stop that, but I don't think I can do it. So um, I, I don't think I'm there yet to commit my life to God. And the, the, the answer pa the pastor gave him uh, changed everything because the pastor asked him, so are you going to wait until you don't need God to serve him? And that changed completely his perspective. And he committed his life to God fully. And now he leads a ministry that works in universities, many universities. This is what the Apostle Paul writes when he writes to Titus. Uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a, for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now we have this, this, this explanation from, from Paul here. And he begins by saying, the grace of God has appeared to us. And we can't skip over this couple things that he begins this, this text here. Because in the Greek, there are many variations for this word grace, what we, what we read as grace in Scripture. And grace can mean kindness. Grace can mean goodness. It can mean favor. Grace can also mean elegance, which is a, a definition that we still use today. But in this script, Scripture, in this passage, and a few others in Scripture, the variation of this word grace is a bit stronger. It makes a stronger statement. It's, it's this idea of kindness which bestows upon the person that which the person does not deserve. You've probably heard it said, a merited favor. But it goes a little bit beyond a merited favor. About 300 uh, years before Jesus, the philosopher Aristotle was, was defining this word, uh, this specific variation of the word grace. And he laid the whole stress on this very point. He said that this word lays the stress on this point. That it is conferred freely with no expectation of return. And finding its only motive in the bounty and free-heartedness of the giver. St. Augustine said this, that grace is not grace unless it's given. Let me get that one right because it's a big word. <laughs> Gratuitously. There you go. I got it. Gratuitously. Grace is not grace 
unless it's given freely. What, what does this say to us? That, that this word, this, this grace that God has extended to us exists and is contained entirely in himself. And he does it because he wants to do it for you because of his love with no expectation. We see this kind of grace expressed in the very beginning. And, and, and there's a lot of firsts in scripture in Genesis, right? But in the very beginning, we see this kind of grace expressed in the garden. When Adam and Eve commit the original sin, and you, you read through the story, there's a little part there that we can't skip where they realize that they're naked. They realize that they're completely bare. It's a moment that, that, that they have an epiphany. Oh, my God, we have to hide ourselves because we are naked. And what does God do? God makes them clothing, and he covers their nakedness. That's the grace of God covering their sins. The same thing happened to Cain. You know the story of Cain and Abel? You probably do. Where Cain killed his brother Abel. But how does that story end in Scripture? Even though he was warned against it, even though he was told he shouldn't do it, how does the story end? It ends with God placing a mark of protection on Cain so that no one would do to him what he did to his brother. That's the grace of God, the unmerited favor. That's the grace of God protecting him. The same thing happened to Samson. If you know the story of Samson, he had a covenant with God. He had incredible strength, supernatural strength because of that covenant. He forsook the covenant. He broke the covenant. He thought that he could be strong on his own. And what happened? At the last moment of his life, he pleaded with God and God gave him. God restored him the strength. And at the last moment in his life, he destroyed more enemies than he did his entire life. And the same grace did not only work in Jesus, it's not only expressed in Jesus' actions, but what we hear here in this scripture is that this grace is personified in Jesus' life. It is personified in Jesus. Luke writes in chapter 4 that the people in his hometown, in Jesus' hometown, they were amazed at his gracious words. Jesus' words, Jesus' words were full of grace. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And from his grace, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Paul here, he explains that this grace that's fully operational in Jesus, that is personified in Jesus, it trains us. Now, this is something that we cannot skip also, that the grace of God trains us. Typically, when we think of the grace of God, we think of it as a generous pardon. We typically link it to forgiveness, and it's not wrong to do that. We think of it as this incredible uh, mercy that God has extended to us. We hear of graces, Jesus looking at our past, our mistakes, the things that we didn't do right, and he forgives, and he restores, and that's true. But grace doesn't stop there, because if, if it stopped there, it wouldn't be enough. As generous as it is, it wouldn't be enough. Because that means you would need to get cleaned up every single day because you would be making the same mistakes every single day. The grace of God goes beyond that. It trains us. And this word training means to correct. It means that it influences us. It instructs us. It teaches, teaches us. It molds us. The grace of God is not something static. 
It's not something that doesn't move. It's not like a gift that you receive, and that's it. The grace of God is always moving. It's always transforming. It's always acting. Every single day, it's pushing us, and it's molding us, and it's carrying us. It's more like a stream that molds us, and as it molds us, it moves us. As it transforms us, it carries us to a destination. It carries us to a specific place. Grace is not static. It's always in motion. Now, how does the grace of God train us? This is important. If you've ever been trained by a trainer, you know that one of the first things they'll tell you right in the beginning is that for your training to work, you need consistency. You need to have commitment. And you need consistency. The other thing you will notice, too, if you've ever done one of those gym appointments, right, where they make it a point, I think they make it a point to make you feel miserable, right, to show how unfit you are. If you've ever taken one of those appointments, you, you know that the questions that they ask is not just whether you know how to work the weights, whether you've ever pushed one of those machines or you've, you've ever been in a gym, gym before. They ask you about your sleep habits. They ask you about your eating habits, your lifestyle, if you live a sedentary life, if you live an active life. Because fitness, training, is about the wholeness. It's about your entire life. And the same is true with grace. When it says that grace trains us, it means that it considers our entire life. Not just our mistakes, not just the things that we did wrong, but it considers our entire life. But here's the beauty of grace. Grace does not judge us by our ability to fail. The grace of God judges us by our potential to succeed. It judges us by the way God sees us. It judges us through God's eyes, through Jesus' eyes, the potential that he sees in you, the things, the seeds that he placed in your heart, the dreams that you have in your heart that you might think that you can never do or can never see to pass. That's how God judges us through his grace. Not where you are, but where he sees you going. Not where you, you are right now, but where he wants to take you. And this grace begins to transform and carry us through. If, if I were to, to, to express the process, this process of how grace trains us, I'd probably give you three points. The first one is that grace must be received. So we receive this grace freely through salvation. Grace saves. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, what Jesus did, he did it all by himself. What God did, he did it all by himself. He reached out to you. Because of his immense love. Jesus didn't go to the cross and said, listen, I'm going to do this for you. But you got to meet me in the middle, man. All right? You got to at least suffer half of what I've suffered. No. He suffered. He took human form because he loves us. To offer us his own life. And when he did that, he did it as a free gift. And the second thing that grace does, once we've been received, once we've been 
welcomed, once we've been, we've been saved, once we've been included, because that's what grace does. It includes you. It embraces you. It brings you into the family of God. It introduces you into this new realm that God came to bring you into. It begins to transform you. See, and that's, that's really the main point of this passage here today. Because grace transforms you. The grace of God, the goodness of God, what he has given you, it transforms you. It's not a pass so you can keep living your life the way uh, that you were living before. But it compels you to rise higher. That's what we want. We don't want a placebo kind of faith that looks like the real thing. It looks like it'll do the, the job, but it doesn't produce any change. We don't want a kind of life that's not going to be transformational, that's not going to take us where we need to go. We want the kind of life that is walking towards something, that is carrying us through something. And that's what the grace of God does. It transforms us. It produces this kind of transformation where we let go of the old nature and we embrace the new. In this passage, it says that the grace of God purifies us. It purifies us. And this process of purification, it's a process that takes time. It heals us. It restores us. That's when we begin to learn to love again because we receive and we have a realization of his great love for us. That's when we begin to value certain things differently. And sometimes you don't even realize, but your, your desires begin to change. There are certain things on the inside that you're not attracted to certain things anymore. And, and your life begins to take new shape. That's the grace of God carrying, carrying you through, transforming you. To get you to this specific point. See, it would be great if God had bestowed his grace upon us to forgive us, to save us, to establish a relationship with us, and to restore us to the, full, the fullness of himself in us, right? It would be great if that happened by itself, right? just that. But there's this third element that grace leads, leads us toward that is also part of this transformation, it says there in that passage that he did it to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And that's the third point. Grace not only receives us, not only embraces us, not only saves us. Grace not only transforms us, restores us, and brings us into unity with God. But grace transforms us into grace givers. We receive grace so that we can give grace. The grace of God trains us and it takes us, it transforms us toward this goal of good works. Sounds like a contradiction, right? Well, the, the scripture says that it's not by works. It's not about works. That we're saved by grace, not by works, that no one may boast. How come you're talking about good works here? Well, here's what happens. The grace of God is not simply an affirmation of who we are, but is an affirmation of who Jesus is in us. And Jesus' work in us, the moment that we take on his perfection, the moment that we take on his strength, the moment that we take on his life, it is inevitable that you will be driven toward others, that you will be driven toward good works. 
So the good works here are not our good works. It is God's good works in us to the people around us. It's his drive to bless others. It's his transformation in us that will use us to bless others. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, see that? So that grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This same power, this same grace, this same life that was in Jesus' life is now extended to us, to you. And it trains us. It trains us not just for ourselves. It trains us not just so we can overcome our obstacles. It trains us not so we can be better by ourselves. But it trains us toward others, to perform good works toward others. This works as a cycle. Every single day we receive God's grace. Every single day we are transformed by God's grace. As long as we're in this body, there's work to be done. As long as we're in this earth, there's transformation that needs to be had. But every single day, the grace of God will drive you toward good works. So if you're here this morning and you're living this life with God, you might be new to it. You might be new to this relationship with God. Maybe you haven't taken the whole step like that friend uh, I mentioned before. Maybe you're still on the fence or maybe this is something you've been doing for a while. When you are driven toward good works, let me encourage you, don't ignore it. Allow that, that, that the grace of God to perform its full work in you. Because if you do that, you will begin to see God's life in you and this transformation take a new level. A level of satisfaction, of fulfillment, a level of wholeness in your life like no other. Sometimes we look for situations that are trying or situations that, that, that come against certain parts of our lives for us to tune in to this transformation. But every single day, every single day, through his kindness, God will whisper things in your heart. Through his kindness, he will guide you through a process of transformation. And every single day, you will have an opportunity to perform good works for others. So every single day, I want to encourage you to receive God's grace, to be transformed by God's grace, and to give God's grace to others. Because that's what he did to us. Every single day, that's what he does to us still today. And every time you see a personal trainer, remember, the grace of God is just like a personal trainer, measuring our lives, moving us toward a better life. And it's about your whole, your whole life, not just Sunday mornings or connect groups or volunteering or even just about the bad, right? Sometimes we come to God only with the bad. Because we want him to fix that. And we look at the good in our lives, what we count good. And we say, all right, this is okay. This is all right. But offer up to God your whole life, your entire life, everything. So that he can make the good better. And he can transform you into who you were made to be. Amen.